The story has uh, often been told of the man who said there was no point going to church anymore because every time he went, the preacher preached the same sermon. When asked how often he went, he responded, I go every Easter. (laughs) Well, if that man is here this morning, he's... In for surprise. In our study through Matthew's gospel, we are several months away from the resurrection, so no traditional Easter sermon today. Instead, we're going to have a Palm Sunday sermon a week late. (laughs) Last week, we followed Jesus into Jerusalem And this week, we're going to focus on the entrance of the king. However, because it is Easter, we will see if we can't at least note some parallels between the entrance into the city and the exit from the tomb. We begin with a look at the preparation for the entrance. Of the King. Continuing our study in Matthew's Gospel, we're ready for chapter 21. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to uh, Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now, this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Bethphage and Bethany were suburbs of Jerusalem, located a couple of miles east of the city. Bethany was the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and Bethphage, which means house of figs, was apparently nearby. It no longer exists, and archaeologists haven't been able to actually locate it. But as Jesus and the multitude that followed him from Jericho, some 17 miles away and 3,000 feet lower in elevation, when they got to Bethphage, Jesus sent two of the disciples into a nearby village, probably Bethany, and told them they would find a donkey and her colt tied in the street. They were instructed to untie them and bring them to Jesus. If anyone was to question what they were doing, they were to simply say, the Lord has need of them. Now, we're not told whether Jesus had made arrangements for the donkeys or simply knew they would be there. But either way, their use was part of the plan. And he had indeed thought out this entrance 
into the city. On other occasions, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, he had avoided making a scene, slipping in as quietly as possible. But not this time. This was to be the entrance prophesied in Scripture. In Zechariah 9.9, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was to be his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as king. Not as a conquering king who rides into town on a mighty steed, but as a king coming in peace, mounted on the foal of a donkey. Jesus was orchestrating the events that would take place. And he made certain that preparation was made to carry them out, as he would do again four days later before gathering with his disciples in the upper room. In Matthew 26, 18 through 19, we read, And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. On Thursday, he would prepare for the Passover. On Sunday, he was setting the stage for a parade. Let's read on. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid on them their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And the multitudes going before him and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, only Matthew tells us two donkeys were taken to Jesus, a mother and a colt. It was the colt upon which Jesus was to ride, a colt upon which no one had ridden before. The mother was apparently taken to walk beside the colt and have a calming effect on him. Both animals were draped with the disciples' garments like parade animals. And Jesus mounted the colt for the two-mile ride into Jerusalem. The road over which they would travel would climb over the Mount of Olives, where Jesus would get a panoramic view of the city, one that Luke tells us brought tears to his eyes and through the Kidron Valley into the city. The road was no doubt crowded with pilgrims heading to Jerusalem for the Passover. 
Historians tell us that Jerusalem, which had a normal population of several hundred thousand, would swell to over two million during the Passover. The excitement of those traveling with Jesus no doubt overflowed into the pilgrims also on the road, especially when Jesus' entourage began laying their garments and palm branches on the road before him, rolling out, as it were, a red carpet for the king. The crowd began to cry, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us, crying that out to the son of David, the one they hoped would prove to be the promised son of Israel's most glorious king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They were crying out for God to save them. But they weren't thinking of their sins and the need to be saved from them. They were asking for a king to save them from Roman oppression. The excitement continued to build until they reached Jerusalem. Matthew says all the city was stirred, and the word he used is the word from which we get the word seismic. The city was shaken as in an earthquake, and everyone was asking, Who is this? The answer given shows that the multitudes really didn't know. All they said was, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. It would be a week before they would realize who he really was. That he was, in fact, the king of kings, the son of God, the risen Lord. Much would have to take place before they would understand who he was and why he had come into Jerusalem. In fact, they still wouldn't understand who he was five days later when he would once again be on parade. Only this time, rather than riding on a beast of burden, he would carry his own until he could carry it No further. Matthew puts it this way in chapter 27. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. They didn't know who he was. But after the parade into Jerusalem, they would begin to get a glimpse of who he was. And they would witness an unexpected act of purification in the temple. Verses 12 through 14. And Jesus entered the temple and cast out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now Mark makes it clear that This didn't happen until the next day. 
Jesus did go directly to the temple after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But when he got there, he simply looked around. He and the twelve then went back to Bethany for the night. Why did he look around? No doubt it was to size up the situation and to formulate a plan for the next day. Now, he didn't just walk into the temple and lose his temper, as is sometimes portrayed. He sized up the situation and then decided on an appropriate course of action. It was, however, a course of action he had pursued before. Some three years earlier, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus had cleansed the temple during another Passover. John speaks of it in his gospel, chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. After the first cleansing of the temple, things had no doubt quickly settled back into old routines. Annas, the high priest, and his family again turned the court of Gentiles into what was known as the bazaars of Annas. The money changers were there to change foreign coins into Jewish coins for payment of the temple tax. And the sellers of animals and birds were there so pilgrims could purchase animals to sacrifice after they got to Jerusalem. What had probably started with best of intentions as a convenience and an aid to the worshipers had become, even in Jeremiah's day, what he called a robber's den. For hundreds of years. The temple had been a place where exploiters and extortionists and hucksters could hide under a blanket of religion. Kickbacks to the priest were based on profits made, so prices were exorbitant. And since the priests had to approve animals used for sacrifices, only those sold by sanctioned sellers were accepted. It was a religious racket. And Jesus, once again, put a stop to it. This, I might add, is why we don't have bazaars and fundraisers in the church or in the name of the church. What starts out with best of intentions often ends up distracting from the purpose for the church. Making a house of prayer into a place of merchandise, or even a gambling hall. Jesus purified the temple in Jerusalem from religious abuse. So it could at least briefly be what God wanted it to be. In less than a week, 
He would allow the temple of his body to be abused on the cross by the religious authorities so he could purify us for all eternity. Matthew will tell of it in the 27th chapter. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now, if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. Obviously, Jesus did not come down from the cross. He couldn't leave the cross and accomplish what he had come to earth to do. He came to offer purification from sin to all who would accept the gift of salvation. And like some who witnessed what he did for the blind and lame after cleansing the temple, we praise him for what he did for us on the cross. Not all, however, praise him now, nor did everyone praise him then, but some did. Let's read on. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, thou hast prepared praise for thyself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Even the chief priests. And the scribes saw the wonderful things Jesus was doing, healing the blind and the lame. But they were more concerned about the children who were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. How dare they? And how dare Jesus allow it? And they called him on it. He asked if they had never read Psalm 8-2, where it says, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, thou hast prepared praise for thyself. Jesus had the audacity to not only allow the children to praise him, but he also applied a psalm to himself. I'm sure the priests and scribes were living. The praise of the children was obviously appropriate. But why were the children the only ones still praising him? During the parade, the adults were shouting, Hosanna. 
to the son of David. Now they are strangely silent. Could it be that his actions didn't make sense to them? They had expected him to face the Roman authorities, not the Jewish leaders. And now, rather than leading the zealots in rebellion, he was healing the blind and the lame. They didn't understand. But neither did the children. They didn't need to understand. They simply saw something wonderful and praised the one who was doing it. He didn't owe them an explanation. He didn't have to meet their expectations. He was free to be king, and they honored him as such. Oh, to have the faith of children and the freedom to praise Jesus without the need to understand everything. Fortunately, you don't have to be a child to have such faith. The Roman guard had enough faith to see who Jesus was even when he did not understand what was happening all around him. Matthew will tell us again in chapter 27. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. The children recognized him as the son of David after his entrance into the city. And the centurion declared him to be the son of God while still hanging on the cross. Surely we have enough faith to recognize who he is after his exit from the tomb. Like the multitudes that joined in the praise of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem because others were doing so. Many will gather in worship today because family and friends are doing so. I pray they won't be disappointed by what they find. If they've come looking for the Jesus that others worship, I pray that they will find more than religious activity and an empty tomb. I pray they will find the risen Lord. For as the angel told the women who had come to the tomb on Easter morning, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. The multitudes that joined in praise along the road to Jerusalem didn't get what they expected when they followed the crowd into Jerusalem. And I pray that the multitudes that gather in worship today for traditional or nostalgic reasons won't find what they expect either. 
I pray they will find much more. I pray that they will actually come to realize that Christ the Lord is risen today. Let's stand.